If you have a Bible, uh, do flick open at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It will come up behind me as well. just encourage you to bring a Bible with you if you have one. If you haven't, come and ask us. We'll start there. We'll start with our Bible reading. So Acts chapter 15 and starting at verse 36 down to 16.10. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers by the, to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for being with us, for being our good, good Father, knowing our every need before we can even think of it, let alone articulate it. We thank you we feasted on Jesus this morning and taking you in through the bread and the wine. And I pray right now, Lord, as we look at this section from the word of God, that again we would feast and have our fill of you. Lord, satisfy us, nourish us, and sustain us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here. It's good to see you all. Uh, You know, God is on a mission. God's mission... And he's been at it since the beginning of the world, is to see men and women, boys and girls from every nation bow the knee to him, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and to bring the character of his kingdom, justice and peace and righteousness and love, etc., to every pocket of this planet. 
God's on a mission. And he accelerated that mission so dramatically by sending his very own son, Jesus Christ, as we've been celebrating, into this world to live, to die, to be raised from the dead, that many would be saved and added into his kingdom. And not only that, but God has sent to accelerate his mission all the more, his Holy Spirit, the third member of the one true God, to somehow empower God's believers to effectively continue on the mission of Jesus, to see all nations come to Christ. As we ended our series last term, looking through the book of Matthew, we can remember just about the call of Matthew 28 to go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. That's God's mission, and it's accelerating. It's accelerating like never before. That might not be the evidence or that we have around us immediately, but taking, and if you sometimes get a glimpse of the global perspective, There are more people in the kingdom of God who've submitted to the lordship of the risen Jesus, I think, on this planet now than ever before. (coughs) New Frontiers, the big family of churches we're part of, has had first-hand account of people from China, Christians in China. And they're reporting their estimates of 10,000 Chinese coming to faith in Jesus every day. The news focuses on North Korea, and we should rightly pray. But let's not forget what God has done and is doing in South Korea. If he can do it in South Korea, he can do it in the North. Possibly the most evangelized nation in the world. The nation that is sending more believers to other nations to continue the mission of Jesus than any other nation at this time. Who knows? There could be South Korean believers who have somehow got themselves into North Korea. You won't hear about it, I I imagine. They 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 may go less noticed than us. They may fit in a bit easier to share something of the mission of Jesus with people. There are possibly, I haven't got the numbers, more churches in the UK of a thousand or more than any time in my lifetime. I know we look at the stats and facts and church attendance, but God is about something. He's on the move. He's on mission, and the mission will continue with you or without you. The parable of uh, one of the farming parables, yeah, remember? Whether the farmer is awake or asleep, the crops grow. We came back from holiday, and the tomato harvest was over. <laughs> there they were on the floor. It will continue whether you're awake or asleep. No, we did have some, we did. Very nice. Different colours. Thanks, Zoe. Very good. Very inspired. This term, we want to look through Acts 16 to 23. We're looking at Paul's, if you like, second apostolic journey. We're jumping in at the middle of Acts. Why are we doing that? Because I believe there's more we can glean from the example of the first churches as we grow, as we want to do, and become stronger in this thing of mission. Stated it in our vision beginning of last year, I think it was now, and we've talked about mission. You might think, oh no, we're going to talk about mission some more. Yes, we are. Because I've learned, or at least in my life, 
that it doesn't happen overnight. I need to keep reminding myself that I'm on mission, that God's on mission and I'm joining with him and there's a mission to do and he wants me as part of it and part of his team. And I think that's true for us as a church. And there's much we can glean from this. I think it's just fun as well to jump in and look at the Bible in the middle. We know the beginning of Acts, maybe. We're more familiar with it. Pentecost and the Jerusalem church and Peter's preaching. And, but what about this bit? We, we, we kind of may have, may have not be so familiar with the bit down here. And uh, if you like geography, this, this series is going to be right up your street. Um, because it involves maps and arrows. And I've got a whole book of maps and arrows because they excite me. I read them at bedtime, much to my wife's frustration. Um, but we've got maps. Anyway, there might be a map or arrow coming up behind me. I don't know. We've got one, Hannah. Have you got one? We'll just have a little glimpse. Because Paul went on a journey and he went to places and you can map it. And we've got the first journey. This is the first journey he went on. And we're not going to look at that. So there we go. Cyprus and other places. We're going to look at the second journey that Paul went on, starting in Antioch. And today we're going to do all this bit. Because he got up to here and then decided to go to Macedonia. And we're going to stop off at Philippi in the coming weeks and Thessalonica and Berea. We're going to stop off at Athens. We're going to stop off at Ephesus. Uh, We're going to stop off at these places week after week and learn something about mission that they learnt. Look at a theme of mission and glean what we can from their accounts. That's what we're doing. If you like, my inspiration for this series comes from verse 38 in Acts 15. It's a funny verse to take some inspiration for a whole set of chapters from, but just look at this, Uh, 15.38. But Paul did not think it wise to take John Mark. I wouldn't say the same of this, our John Mark. Definitely not. Uh, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them um, in the work or in the mission, as the Good News Bible puts it. He hadn't continued with them in the mission. And so I'm going to entitle our series Mission Continued from this. God just arrested me at this verse. Now, the grace for John Mark, the Bible version, Uh, was that although Paul didn't take him on his team, he did go again with Barnabas on his team. There was grace for John Mark to have a second go. And boy, I have needed many goes at being on God's mission. I have deserted the mission a number of times. I have forgotten that I'm on mission a number of times. I haven't continued with the mission many times. But God is gracious with me as he is with you. Today is a new day. Let's not look behind us too much. Let's not look at our poor track record if you're like me or your good track record. Let's look forward. Let's now determine to continue on God's mission. So there you go. There's a bit of inspiration. If I've got a prayer for this series, and I'm going to be praying this in this coming week, the inspiration comes from verse 5 of chapter 16. It says this. uh, Paul and his team, having gone around to a few places, and only just started really... So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. I think that's amazing, isn't it? Rarely in this world, the brands, companies, organizations, or churches go for both quantity and quality. That's biting off more than you can chew, surely. And you and like me may have sometimes thought, well, Lord, maybe if we overemphasize mission, we won't do too well at pastoral care. I don't think that's kingdom thinking, according to this verse. Strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. 
You may be thinking, ah, Dale's around, these buffoons are in charge now. Maybe the best we can do is just a bit of maintenance, just kind of hold the fort a bit, hold on. Dale, we haven't ruined it. (laughs) Ah, That's not kingdom thinking. These are days to grow in number, amen? Yeah. These are days to be strengthened in the faith, amen? Because the gospel does both. Yeah, we don't have to look anywhere else. Uh, by the way, if you're a guest here today, if you're returning for after a long time, or if you've just visited, by the way, uh, welcome, it's good to see you. I do trust you'll glean stuff from us, from what I'm sharing today, but I guess I am primarily speaking to the church, so forgive me for that, but it's an exciting story, so stick with me. And for the rest of the time, really, that I've got this morning, I just want to draw out four themes, if you like, of being on mission that this passage illustrates. And I was thinking to myself last night, trying not to think about you, actually, because it's about half past ten at night, I wanted to go to sleep, no disrespect, but I was trying not to think about you, and I realised for the first time that the four themes I've got here, the first letter of each, spell out the word act. I hadn't planned that at all, look at that, I hadn't planned that at all, honest, 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 I don't do things like that, Uh, and it did, and I just, so if nothing else, it's given me a bit of faith this morning that these four themes are for us as a church. Well, maybe a little bit wobbly last night, no, this morning, no, no, I'm in faith. Somehow God is going to speak to us through these four themes. So the first one is adventure, A for adventure. And I love the sense of adventure that Paul and Barnabas kind of encapsulate right at the beginning of this passage, verse 36. Paul says to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. I love that. Let's go back. Let's go back and see. Let's go back and see what God's been doing since we've been away. Let's go back and see how they've been getting on, how they've grown in their faith. Let's go back and see if God does some more things with them. It reminds me of a, a passage in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 4, verse, uh, Samuel 14, verse 6. This is when the Israelites under King Saul were severely outnumbered in battle. The Philistines had lined up against them, and Saul and his army had about 600 men left. Whittled right down. They were grossly outnumbered. The Bible even tells us they only had two swords between them as a whole army. Two swords, that was it. And this is what Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Come over. Let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised men, the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. I think there's something of the same adventurous heart and spirit in, in Jonathan as we got in Paul. And you might say to me, well, no, Tim, 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 Tim. No, they're very different contexts. Paul doesn't sound like that. I mean, he wasn't up against an army. He wasn't risking his very life. He didn't have just two swords compared to, you know, the arsenal of weaponry of the opposition. It's different. I say to you, no, no, no. What Paul was proposing here to Barnabas was no picnic. He basically was saying, and you have to read the earlier chapters of Acts to understand this, about their first journey. Come on, Barnabas, let's go back. Let's go back to Poseidon, Antioch, where we'd been persecuted. And when they expelled us from their city, the city leaders had kicked us out. Let us go back to Iconium. Remember Iconium, Barnabas? There were violent threats, physical threats over our life. We had to flee from that city. Let's go back, Barnabas, to Lystra where there was no, hardly any fruit. Very few people came to Christ in response to our message of, the, of Jesus. And not only that, but our enemies caught up. Do you remember, Barnabas? They stoned me. They dragged me out of the city. They thought I was dead. Yet God had preserved my life, and I'm here today. Let's go back there. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he was a little bit... He had adventure in his heart, did he not? It was no picnic. You see, continuing the mission of Jesus is going to be an adventure. But it's going to involve difficulties and obstacles. It's going to involve challenges, sacrifice and cost. Maybe, maybe even death. If you were preaching this passage in other parts of the world, you'd have to, everyone would be nodding at this point. It could involve that. And we need to honour that and consider for ourselves what it means. You know, the mission of Jesus is something worth living for. The mission of Jesus is something worth dying for. When I left university, I'm going to give you a few stories about me. I don't know why. They're not particularly amazing, but it might tell you a bit about me. When I left university, a lot of people were going on gap years. They still do it. It's still very popular. And I had some, a number of mates going on all sorts of adventures around the world, uh, going on, uh, you know, uh, trips of a lifetime, hedonistic adventures, uh, self-discovery, cultural experiences, all that kind of thing. What did I do? I got on the Northern Line and went to Morden, <laughs> the end of the Northern Line. And me and three others, and we didn't know each other, had committed to serving this small church of about 30 people for a year on a very large housing estate, the St. Helier Housing Estate. And we'd given ourselves a year to this. We'd somehow got together through, you know, borrowing, and no, actually, it's gifts mainly, two and a half thousand pounds, and we'd given it into the organisation, and we were going to get 15 pounds a week pocket money. And, oh, well, we did all sorts of strange things. We, we set up a Saturday kids' club, and we tried, had no experience of handling children en masse. It was terrible. Well, hopefully some good. And we knocked on doors and tried to share Jesus with whoever came there, spiritualists, and all sorts of strange encounters we had. We went on the high street and we threw drama and sketchboards, tried to present the gospel in a way that was engaging with people. We prayer walked everywhere. We were helping out on a Sunday morning. And I'll tell you what, I would not have swapped that adventure for anything overseas. I wouldn't have done it. Any of those other things that my mates were on. Saving the turtles is very worthy. And I love the beach. But this is, this is the adventure for me. And I'm so glad I put myself in God's way. I put myself into the mission adventure. The mission continued uh, to see what God would do. See how he'd shape me. How he would use me. And how he would grow the things in that church there. You know, young people. You, your peers, are looking for adventure. And they look around and it, nothing kind of lives up to the promise. You need to model to them what the adventure of running with Jesus looks like. You know, the church is God's sent people. And embracing the adventure of God's mission starts with understanding and believing that we're a sent people. As somebody sent you know, Paul, when he's um, talking to new believers in 1 Corinthians 7, he, he, he discourages people changing anything about their life. Stick with it. Stick with what you've got. Go with the same job. Don't change your marital status, he says. He says, stay in the same address. Obviously, unless God specifically, categorically speaks to you otherwise. Because God wants you there. He's positioned you there. He's ordained you to be that neighbor to those neighbors, to be that colleague to those colleagues, to sit at that desk in school next to those in the new class you've got. God has ordained you to be there. It's not that you necessarily change your circumstances, but now you're changed by Jesus, you can change your attitude. You're now sent to those people. 
So that's his default position. Don't change anything. You're a sent people now. It's just a different approach. I want to speak to uh, middle-aged men. I know a little bit about middle-aged men and their need for adventure. It may apply to other life stages and genders. I don't know. You'll have to tell me. But I think us middle-aged men, we we need an, an adventure. We need an adventure. Or we'll get bored. We may abdicate from things that we're responsible for. Or we may even do something stupid. And you can go and run your ultra marathon. And you can go and scale mountains and cliff tops. And I like doing some of those kind of things. Maybe not quite as dramatic. I love the adrenaline. Jumping out of aeroplanes. Maybe even a career change. Yes, it's an adventure. But more than all those things. Us middle-aged men, we need to be on this venture of continuing the mission of Jesus. Continuing the mission of Jesus. Seeing every day as part of the mission of Jesus. I, I lodged with a couple for a year. They were an elderly couple and uh, been walking with the Lord all their life, really, from a young age. And uh, I noticed, having lived with him for 365 days, there was a pattern here to his life. And actually, inquiring about his history, the pattern had gone on for a long, long time. He had gone, he lived in the same house all his adult life. He had walked the same two miles to the same school to do the same teaching job every week of his working life. And he played the piano in the church every Sunday to the same 20 people, no, probably wasn't the same 20 people, every week of his life. And he played tennis at the tennis club at the end of his street, because there was one just there in a park, all his adult life. And he enjoyed all those things, but there was a spark in his eye. There was a glint, there was a twinkle, there was a, there was a bounce to his step. His gait oozed with something else. It wasn't monotony. It wasn't mundaneness. There was, there was an adventure in his spirit. And I learned, because I lived with him, that every day he would get up before the day began. And he prayed to God. And he would read his Bible, because I could hear it. Every day he would just go to school again. It's the same job he'd done for years. He hadn't got a promotion, he was just doing the same job. And I think the two were connected, you know. I think there was something in him that saw every day as an adventure. What would God do today? Who would God bring across my path today? At the tennis club, at school, at church, down my street. These neighbours I've known all these years. And there was something of that. And I decided then, aged 22, I want that. Whatever I do, I want that. I want to be on the adventure of God. So there you go. There's three others to look at. T. T is for team. We're going to skip C, come back to C. I know how to spell Acts, don't worry. We've been recruited onto God's team. It's called the church. I know that Acts, particularly this section we're going to look at, is going to focus on Paul as the thread. But don't lose the perspective that Luke, the author here, gives us. It's all about the church. Now, I think Luke is gathering evidence or maybe some explanation of this guy called Theophilus. He's providing this book for so that Philophius has got the information about where Paul comes from, possibly to defend him in, the court, in a law court. But Luke is very careful to emphasize that this is church, this is team, this is us together. Acts 15 verse 40, Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. That's not an insignificant comment. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. By believers at that moment, 
Luke is referring to the Antioch church. It's the Antioch church where Paul and, and, uh, and Silas had been based for that like, little period. In fact, Paul had been there before. This was Paul's home church. When he'd been sent out before with Barnabas, they'd been praying and they'd been fasting and they'd been worshipping and they'd been prophetic words. You can read about it in Acts 13. And they'd been laying on of hands and a sense of commission and togetherness. They sent them off. Now, Paul and Barnabas had got back. They'd reported back. They'd stayed for a while. And now Paul wanted to go again. I have no doubt that by this little phrase commended by the believers the same mix was there there was fasting there was praying there was prophetic words there was a setting apart there was a sending off we're going to support you in this we're going to be with you this is church doing mission together I have no doubt that's how Luke is describing it for us Paul and his companions verse 6 of chapter 16 traveled throughout the region Yes, we're talking about Paul, and we keep talking about Paul because he's a thread, because that's the reason Luke wrote this down. But it's as a team. He, they travelled throughout the region. Team was essential to Paul. This is not rogue Christianity. This is not one man band church. It doesn't exist, and it isn't in the book of Acts, and it wasn't what Paul was about. Let me show you in two ways. We may never get to the bottom of whether or not John Mark should have been on Paul's team or, or, or not. And there was a disagreement there. We, we will never be the judge of that, I don't think. I don't think the scripture's given us enough information to know who was right and who was wrong. But it did illustrate Paul's value of team. It was so important to him. Who was with him? It wasn't just a casual thing. Oh, yeah, maybe I can come along if you want. No, it was important to him of who was going with him. It was, so team was important. Not only that, verse uh, 10 in chapter 16, when Paul had this vision of a man of Macedonia standing, beckoning him over, Paul could have gone away and decided on his own. I know what that means. I'm going to do this. But we don't get that from what Luke writes down here. It says, we got ready at once to leave Macedonia, together, concluding. We talked about this. We kind of conferred with one another. We shared the perspectives that God had each given us. And we concluded, together, that God had called us, not me, not I, to preach the gospel to them. Team was vital. But God puts teams together, and he doesn't always put them together as we would. Paul wanted to go with Barnabas. He had in his mind a crack team, an experienced team. Me and Barnabas, we've done stuff together. We've been through scrapes. Let's go again. But God had other ideas. He had two flawed teams in mind with a mix of experience and not much experience. And then this young lad, Timothy, came along, maybe only been a Christian five years, and he got added in. And this bloke called Luke, who was seemingly a doctor, had kind of tagged, he was part of the team as well. God puts teams together. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we start something, or start something for the first time, or go back again, maybe the beginning of a new term like this, we can be all enthusiastic, can't we? We go back to school, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, do margins and use different colours. I'm going to keep it all neat. We can go back to life. Yes, I'm going to commit. I'm going to reboot my life group commitment. Of course I am, yes. If you haven't signed up, you, know, you can at the back at the end of the day. Uh, or yes, I'm going, to get part, I'm going to be part of this um, refugee team or the night shelter team. I'm going to get part of, I'm in part of it. And then you get there and you look around and all of a sudden your enthusiasm goes... You think, all oh, right, this is who we got, is it? <laughs> so maybe, it's just, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. It's just... Ah, yeah, life group, yeah, yay. 
A bit eclectic, aren't they? <laughs> That's the polite word for odd. Uh, you know, we're a bit of an odd bunch, aren't we? Uh, they're going to minister to me, and I'm going to minister. Okay, then. Uh, and sometimes I know. I don't know about you. We can. We can always think about the if only. If only these other people were with us. If only we were a larger church, we could do more of these things. If only there were more people like me in this church, and then then we could do something that we like to do. If if only the worship band had an electric guitar, then they would come. If only they had a bass player. Come on, amen. Yes, that's right. I can think like that. If only the worship leader hadn't broken his back, then we'd be all right. We'd be all right. If only we had a stronger prophetic gift in the church. Somebody else with, with more of an evangelistic gift in. We can think like that, can't we? But no, no, God, through this story, I think it's really illustrated to, to us. No, God puts teams together. And he knows what he's doing. And we may not have who we had before. And there may be some people that are kind of taken out for a season. And we don't kind of know why. Was it good? Was it bad? I don't know. But it's happened. And there's some newbies coming in. And we're not quite sure how to fit them all together. But God's doing it. So look around you. Guys. Guys. We're it. I I mean, who would have put you and me together? Who would have put me with you at all? Who would have done that? We wouldn't have picked each other, wouldn't we? Who, who, Who was born and brought up in the area? Anyone born up and born? A few of you. The rest of us, we're imports. We've migrated into your life. God decided. Sorry about that. It was his idea. I didn't come from, I didn't even know where Oxted was when God said to me, maybe you should go. Or just before that, actually. A few months. So we're on a team. And God's doing it his way. And then the Spirit is the third theme here, the Holy Spirit. And he's on our team, or rather, we're on his team. And just look at the example here from verse 6 down to verse 10. It's just a great illustration of how the Holy Spirit changes everything. He's not just an added on. He's not just an extra component. No, he changes everything. Having been kept from going from one place, by who? By the Holy Spirit. Read on a little bit. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, what, go somewhere else? During the night, Paul had a vision. Ah, That sounds like the Holy Spirit's involvement again. Because at the beginning of Acts, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming and people getting visions. And we concluded that God had called us. God was speaking through his Holy Spirit to us. Four, if you like, explicit mentions of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in this decision process. It's dripping with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes everything. And if there's one lesson from the whole book of Acts, it's... But we need the Holy Spirit more than we realize. We need more and more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the life of this church. Ask for more. Expect more. Let the Holy Spirit influence more parts of your life than ever before. Are you making a decision at the moment? Don't do it in any other way than through the Spirit. It's the spirit we need to make decisions. It's not just that we add a bit more of a biblical perspective now with Christians, the guidance. It's not that we got a bit more of a framework and a bit of God's guidance, or kind of general wisdom. All of that's good, and we have that, but we must, in our decision-making, have the spirit at the heart of it all. We don't know how he told them not to go there or there. Was it circumstance? Was it prophetic? Was it other dreams? We have no idea. We're just left knowing that they concluded the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go there. And we've got to come to those same conclusions at times. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go over there. He wants us to go over here. And we need to talk about it. We've got to be flexible. Because the Spirit doesn't get come on our team at the beginning and the end. We're on his team throughout. 
And so he's going to shape us. He's going to mold us. We're going to have to be adaptable as we go, as we work things out, as he reveals things to us. It's going to involve a bit of frustration at times. It's going to involve fellowship. We must share with one another. If you're going through a big decision at the moment, the big kind of call out here is you've got to involve others in it. Yes, the spirit, but somehow we can help one another in that. Don't make it on your own. And that's how we're going to go forward as a church with all the initiatives we've got planned. And then, oh, just to highlight, actually, we're going to give opportunity for ministry, Sunday after Sunday, life groups and other places. But we're going to have a particular weekend in November where we've got uh, Henk Kirsten from Maastricht in uh, the Netherlands coming. He was with us for the Otford Manor weekend away we had. And we're going to have a weekend entitled Times of Refreshing. And that's times for you to receive more of the Holy Spirit. So November the 18th, that's a Saturday. There'll be a couple of sessions in the morning. You can come to one or both. It's going to be with the youth on a Friday night and also on a Sunday morning. And all of that, the whole emphasis of that is to give us time, give us space, particularly to uh, be filled and recommissioned and gifted by the Holy Spirit, although we don't need to wait till then. And then if you've noticed in my spelling, the letter that's missing is C. So let me just talk about commitment. Verse 3 of chapter 16, Paul wanted to take him, Timothy, along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew his father was a Greek. Now this is somewhat surprising if you read Acts chapter 15, do at home, because particularly uh, Paul and Peter and James, the leaders and the apostles gathered in Jerusalem, had really been grappling with this one. Should the Gentile believers have to be circumcised if they're male? Should they have to adopt some of the other Jewish customs and practices to be a Christian? We're living in the good of their decision, and they decided, no, Jesus is enough. Faith in Jesus is all that saves you, and he saves you, full stop. So why then, verses later, is Paul saying, oh, Timothy, if you want to come on my team, you've got to be circumcised. It's a bit odd, and I think the way Luke presents it is, is meant to kind of go, hold oh, a minute, that will take us. And we ask the question, why? Well, the why is quite straightforward, really. Paul's bent was for Jesus' mission to continue and for every nation to be reached with the gospel. He wanted to see as many people come to Christ as seemingly possible, and he wanted to part, play his part in it. Later on in 1 Corinthians, he talks about this for himself. He said, look, I, 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 to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, the Romans, I became like one of them. To the free, I was free. To the slave, enslaved, I became like a slave. I became all things to all men that I might by all possible means save some. That was his bent. Even though Paul felt that his primary call was to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he didn't want to miss any opportunity. And Timothy was half Jewish. His mother was a Jew, but he had never been circumcised. And there was a lot of Jewish people in that region still. And so he wanted to make them as people acceptable, relatable to the population. And they would have rejected Timothy as, you know, not, not kind of matching up ethnically. But having been circumcised, much more acceptable. Now, in northwest London, where I lived, there was a high concentration of Jewish people. 
No, don't worry, it's not going where you think it's going. Um, and at work, I always had Jewish colleagues. I really got, uh, uh, it was really privileged to get to know them and to share something of my faith with them at times. But wherever we live, I wasn't circumcised, don't worry. Uh, I, they didn't think it was necessary because I didn't have a Jewish mother. Um, but there is still something for us to take here. We need to be prepared to commit, and it may be costly and sacrificial to ensure that we are able to win as many people as possible, to ensure that we're as comfortable around people and they're around us as possible. My sister once told me she did something like this. She, she bought a flat in the cheapest part of town in Cambridge, because that's what she could afford, and then she said, I'm going to buy the biggest TV I can possibly buy. I said, oh yeah, why is that then? Well, she said, it's because I don't really, I don't really, I'm from a different background to all the people in my flats, you know, culturally, if you like, and I've noticed they've all got big TVs. So if I have a big TV, I think I might be able to come into my house. It would be better. Otherwise, you know, it would look like we're on a different planet. And so that's what you oh, okay, yeah, if you want to be, yeah, okay, just get a big TV. Because we grew up with a little black and white TV, so it wasn't culturally us. Just a little personal story from us as well. When our children were young, we were deciding what primary school to go to. We did in the end decide that they should go to the closest primary school. Um, and uh, we were living in a part of London that was very ethnically diverse. Harrow is still the most ethnically diverse part of the UK. And, uh, but the, the schooling was such that it kind of exaggerated any kind of bias. And it was, it was unfortunate, really. A primary school could be very different just around the corner, but the population around it wasn't that different. It was diverse everywhere. But we decided to go to the closest school because we wanted to connect with uh, the families there, the families of our neighbourhood, who were very different from us. And we knew what it would mean, and it did mean, and forgive me for using this kind of crude uh, kind, of, kind of way of expressing it, but it, it kind of, it's kind of what you, where you're at sometimes, isn't it? But our girls were the only white face in their classes. And, you know, that kind of colour is an obvious thing, isn't it? You know? <laughs> and culturally, just, we were just different from everybody else at school. It wasn't like there was a pocket of white middle-class English, if you like. There was nobody. If there was another white child in the class, they were Eastern European and just arrived and may not have spoken much of the language. So, but we could have gone to another school. We could have sent them to somewhere else where that skew, if you like, wasn't so dramatic. It was a bit more broad, but we wanted to connect with these people. It was a good school. We weren't worried about the quality at all, although, uh, you know, starting school life when nobody speaks uh, English as their first language is a challenge and sets you backwards a little bit, but you have to be in faith. And, oh, get over that. We'll get through that. And uh, it gave us many opportunities, which we would not have had. Now, I don't know what fruit has come of it, and I don't want to blow that out of proportion, but it did mean we could connect with families in a ways we couldn't have otherwise. So Carrie went on to run English classes, free classes, to people that uh, weren't native English speakers uh, and barely knew much English at all. And as a part of a church ministry, and we could have it at the church uh, at the school venue and got all sorts of people from other backgrounds along to those and share something of our faith through that. I ended up being a governor at the school and getting to know all sorts of people from other backgrounds, uh, making decisions with Muslims about head teachers' salaries and other strange things like that. And it was just a great opportunity. So I just want to highlight commitment. Commitment is our fourth uh, theme when it comes to continuing the mission of Jesus. You know, there may be times when we need to forego our freedoms and prefer the conscience of others. 
It may be if you've got a Buddhist family coming around for tea that you cook vegetarian. <laughs> it may be if you've got a Muslim coming around to your house, you put your Bible on the top shelf, not on the floor. It, it, we don't have to do that, but let's just prefer them. It may be if we're going to uh, c- connect with the poor and the marginalised in our society, some of us have to live there and choose a property that, doesn't, that we can easily afford so we can connect with people. It's going to involve commitment. So I'm going to finish there just to remind you we're going to join in with the mission of Jesus. It's going to continue anyway, but we're going to sign up. Why don't we just stand and end in prayer and then we can have refreshments and look forward to seeing you in the, in the week as we pray and next week as we gather again. You know, the challenge that God spoke to me through these verses is simple. Are you up for the adventure of continuing my mission? Are you up for the commitment? It's going to demand for continuing my mission. Are you going to unite yourself to the team I've put you in on my mission? And are you up for receiving more and more and more of my Holy Spirit to be on my mission? Heavenly Father, just briefly, we want to say yes, 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 and yes. We thank you, Jesus, for the adventure you took that was costly and that you were committed to as we've celebrated this morning. We thank you, Jesus, you've knitted us together into this one body, this body of Christ, to be Jesus to the world. And we commit ourselves to each other again. And Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you've been poured out. And in this simple moment right now, we say, yes, Spirit of God, we receive you. Be filled with the Spirit. From the prophetic word to communion to right now, we consume you, Holy Spirit. We take you in to help us tomorrow, Tuesday, at work, at school, down our street, in our leisure pursuits. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank